Now look, pull out your message notes. Today we are in the last portion of this series, The Daniel Dilemma. It's been a great series. Have you guys enjoyed the series? It's been awesome. Uh, it's, it's really based out of a book that my pastor, Chris Hodges, wrote called The Daniel Dilemma. Uh, in this, we're learning to navigate culture that is rapidly shifting away from God and Judeo-Christian values. And so the question that we've been answering and asking is, how do we stand firm in this culture? And when we look at the life of Daniel, we see a great example of a man that stood firm in his faith even though the culture was hostile to God. Daniel was taken captive as a slave into Babylon. Uh, it was a completely pagan culture. They didn't love God, didn't believe in God, didn't want anything to do with God. And yet we see a man that stood firm. And the way he stood up for his faith, he never gave in, he never compromised, and yet he found great influence in that culture, in that society. I believe there's a lot that we can learn from this, and I think that as a church, it's our responsibility to live our lives like Daniel. Now, what I have found is that most people... When we talk about influencing and standing up for culture, they believe that you can only do one or the other, that really you got to stand firm for culture. That means you kind of have to be this bully that nobody's going to like you. You're going to be antagonistic. You're going to be arguing with people. And so, but by golly, we're going to stand up for what we believe. Come on, somebody. And then the other hand, you've got these people that say, look, we want to love so well that what we're willing to do is to compromise what we believe. We're willing even, in some cases, to change what the Bible says so that people will feel more accepted. And really what they're saying is that we can love people better than God. And how many know that's absolutely false? God doesn't have love. God is love. And the greatest thing that God could do is tell us and communicate to us his truth and reveal our sin and ask us to turn away from the sin so that he can radically change our lives. So I believe this. I think that as a church, the mandate is not to do one or the other, but the mandate is to do both. That God's called us to stand firm, but he's also called us to love well. And so that's been the goal of this whole series, that we would have a playbook to live our lives by, that we could embrace what God's doing and yet really gain influence in the culture that we live in. And Pastor Chris so greatly last week communicated how to stand still. How many appreciated listening to Pastor Chris last week? And didn't he do a good job? Now, today, what I want to talk about is I really want to talk about how to love well, how to love well. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, the only thing that counts. Now, how many know when the scripture says the only thing, you ought to take some notice? It didn't say one of many things. It didn't say one thing. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what he's saying here is, look, you got to have faith. you got to have a foundation of we love God. We put him first in our life. But that faith has to be expressed through love. Everybody say love. It's not just good enough. It's not good enough just to be a Christian. not good enough just to have faith. But the one thing, the most important thing is that the faith that we have is expressed through the love of our lives. We've got to be honest, you know, as a pastor, when we take an assessment of the church, really, I think we could all take a look and say the church has not always gotten this right. 
Like, like sometimes what we see, and I'm talking about the church in large, the body of Christ at large, is that we have been so dogmatic and so argumentative that we have the answer, that we are right, you are wrong, that the problem is we're standing firm, but we're not doing it with the love of God. And so what happens then is people's lives get hurt. Yeah, you had the truth. How many know you can be right and still be wrong? Yeah, yeah, that's great. You're right, but nobody's listening to you. Yeah, that's great that you've got the truth, but you've already offended me so much with the way that you live your life and the way you talk to me. I can't hear a word you say. And so we as a church, we've got to find that balance. Like, we're not going to compromise. The word of God is the word of God. And as your pastor, if you've been here for any amount of time, I'm not compromising God. God's word says what it says. It is infallible, and we're going to preach God's truth. Come on, right? We're not compromising. Oh, but you're that trendy church. Yeah, well, that, that's just the way we approach church, but we do not compromise the word of God. It is what it is. But here's what I believe the difference is. We communicate it in a style of love. That God, I'm not here to judge. I don't, I'm not, I'm going to walk around somebody say, well, pastor, you know, if you knew what I did, I don't care what you did. My God already knows, and guess what? He still loves you. So my job is to embrace you and to say, look, I'm going to preach the truth. Whatever God speaks to you, you change as the Holy Spirit convicts. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to love you. Look, we cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. You cannot win your enemies to Christ. So let's not have any. Come on, somebody. It's like, look, I got it. Like, we may be on opposing view sides, but you're not my enemy. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to share the love of God with you. We're not enemies. And so we're called to love everyone unconditionally. And Jesus spoke this to the disciples. Look at what he says in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. So it's not a new suggestion, it's not a new idea, it's a command that he is speaking to his disciples. And look what he says, love one another. That means I've got to love you and you're commanded to love me. And then look at what he says, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I love the fact that Jesus says, follow my example. He didn't just tell you to do something. He's saying, look, do what you see me do. In other words, look, disciples, I've loved you unconditionally. Many of you are sent. You're all sinners. You're all making mistakes. But you found someone that looked beyond your current situation because God values potential and progress, not perfection. And so he says, look, now I'm loving you unconditionally, and I expect you to do the same. I expect you that regardless of their past, regardless of the situation, that you would love unconditionally. Then look at what he says, by this, by what? By love. By love, all men will know that you're my disciples if you, if you, if you love one another. Now, I always find this very interesting, right? So we have a leadership academy. It's amazing. We've got about 45 students. Many of you are in it. Come on. Woo! Love the leadership academy. It really was birthed out of just helping people really develop the leadership that's on the inside. And we understand this, that if you want to change the world, raise up leaders. And so I tell them all the time, you can be full of knowledge and not have love and you're ineffective. And when you look at this, isn't it interesting that he didn't say, they're going to know you're a disciple because of your theology. Oh, because you're so grounded in the word that you know the Hebrew and the Greek. That's not what he said, is it? He said, it's by your 
love. Now, do we love theology? Absolutely. Do we love the Hebrew and Greek? Absolutely. But if your faith is not expressed through love, then we're not winning. And so I find it interesting, too. He didn't say, hey, they're going to know you're a Christian because you come to church on Sunday. Hey, pastor, made it, made it today. Woo, it's good to see you. We're not running for politics. It's not, oh, well, he's a Christian. Why? Because he goes to Anchor Ben. She's a Why? Because, no, 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 that's not what he said. He said, they're going to know you're a disciple. Why? Because of your, it's not even the music you listen to. It's not because you bump in KSBJ. Right. I'll be on there in July, July 1st. Y'all be listening for me doing Enter His Gates, our church without walls. Yeah, so. But it ain't because you listen to KSBJ or all my young people, Engine Radio or Air One or any of the others. It ain't because you got a Christian t-shirt or a Moment Ready shirt or anything else. It is based because of your... So look, here's the, the goal is not to win arguments. The goal is to win hearts. I'm not here to debate with you. Listen, many of you, you're smarter than me. But I promise you this, you ain't going to love better than me. That's what I found about God. Like, you can always get smarter. Come on, somebody. There's a book to help you get smarter in your life. You can always get a little more education. But the one thing you cannot fake is the genuine, authentic, powerful love of God that's flowing from the inside of us. And he says, look, that love is the distinguishing mark of a disciple. And look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He actually says, let love be your greatest aim. Love. So, so here's the, the thing that I get concerned about is I don't know that as Christians we're aiming for love. We're just kind of aimlessly living our life. It reminds me of the story of the guy that walked into a room where a man was practicing archery. And he looked on the wall and he noticed that every single one of the arrows had hit a bullseye. This man was like, wow, this guy is really good. He goes up to the man and he says, hey, how did you hit a bullseye every single time? And the guy says, oh, that's simple. Pulls out an arrow, sticks it in the bow, and just aimlessly just lets it go. Arrow hits the wall. He didn't see a bullseye. That man said, hold up. Walked over, pulled out a marker, drew a bullseye right where the arrow hit. Bullseye every time. I wonder if that's how some of us live our lives. Where are you going? I don't know. No, no. The Bible says, no, 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 not aimlessly. Not just casually or flippantly. He says, look, the aim is love. That my faith is demonstrated and expressed through the love that God has. So that means the aim of my words, the aim of my actions, the aim of everything that I am ought to be directed towards the love of God to be expressed through this world. Come on, somebody. And look, when we look at Daniel, I think he really gives us this amazing picture of a man who, he, he got the balance. He stood well. He loved well. He was not in compromise. He was very respectful. Even when he told them, look, I can't eat this food. Would you test God? Would you allow us to try? He was never disrespectful, never argumentative. But somehow he won the affection and the hearts of the people that were over him. And look at what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, these are like city councilmen. These are men that would rule over the city and the kingdom. And it says, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. They were made accountable to him so that the king might not suffer loss. So the king puts these people in charge. But above all of them, he says, I'm going to put Daniel, this Hebrew boy, this slave... 
that God has allowed to be in a position of influence, but he has won the heart of the leadership in such a powerful way. He says, look, put Daniel over all of them. Look at what it says. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities. So here's what I would tell you. This is what's amazing to me. It's probably the greatest leadership principle that you'll ever find in life. You don't have to be the best singer. I don't have to be the best preacher. You don't have to be the best football player, cheerleader, or whatever your vocation is. What I've learned is that you just have to have good, godly qualities in your life and be the best at demonstrating God to the world. And Daniel just rises to the top. I know a lot of gifted people who are not doing anything with their life because they don't have the character to keep them where their gifts will take them. So it's the greatest thing. Look, you, you just live the life that God's called you to live. And you know what? God will just rise, raise you up to the top. you just like cream. You just kind of always rise. Why? Because the character of God is on the inside of you. And no one can deny it. They may not even like, I don't even like you, but I don't know why I'm promoting you. Oh, baby, I know, because my God is good. Mm -hmm. He wants somebody to have influence. So we see Daniel just rising to the top. It says that the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against him. So, so there's people, they're, they're shooting arrows at him. Look, they're out there talking trash. They're out there hating on him, spewing haterade. But look at what they said. Come on. It said, but they found no charges against Daniel in his, in his, not just his words, but his life. There was nothing that would convict him. The way he behaved was genuine. It was full of character and integrity. And it says, but they were unable to find any charges against him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, I, I love this. It didn't say he was promoted because he was good looking. It didn't say he was promoted because he was the best educated. It didn't say because he had money. Because these are the things that you hear people say all the time. Ain't that right, man? It's like, well, I don't have that four-year degree. Baby, I, you go try to pursue that, but, but I want you to know your degree will not limit you. I, I came up from the other side of the tracks. That won't limit you either, baby. Well, you know, if you knew my family, if, if you knew my situation, no, 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 none of those things limit you. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. That if we will have character, God will raise us up to be an influence into this world. It's all about his conduct, the way he lived his life. Says, finally, these men said, look, we'll never find a basis or charges against this man, Daniel. Now, there are some things that I just can't control. I can't control how tall I am. I'm six foot one. Some of you can't control how short you are. It's just, it's just it's, it's, come on. I mean, it's like we were born that way, right? Some of you can't control whether we're, you know, you know what, what you look like. You can't control what family you came from. But what we can't control is the way we behave. What we can't control is whether or not we choose to love people well. And I want you to know this. Love is not a feeling. Listen, young people, because you need to know this too. You say in marriage, well, you know, I just don't feel love. Well, baby, love ain't a feeling. You got to make a choice. And there are moments in your life when you wake up to that person, and it's not me because I have passion love. But she looks at me, she's like, I don't, I don't know if I like you. I love you and love's a choice. That's what we know. Is this, it ain't about a feeling. Feelings are fickle. 
They come and go. Well, I fell out of love. You don't fall out of love. You fall out of choice. Oh, don't let me meddle. I'm just meddling now. So we got to choose to love. And so Daniel loved well. How do we love well? I think there's three things that we can learn. The first one is this. we got to serve them. You can go into your world tomorrow and begin to find the needs that the people in your life have and begin to serve them. I don't know what their needs are, but you'll discover what they are. And if you'll begin to step in and say, look, how can I serve you? Let me help you. Maybe it's carrying groceries across the street. My kids have been serving one of my neighbors. She broke her foot. She fell and fell, fell down and broke her foot. And so they go over there, Miss Carol, how can we help you? What can we do? How can we make this time okay and better for you? You can do things in your life that says, look, I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to allow myself to give some of my resources, time, talent, and treasure, and I'm going to find the needs that are right around me, and I'm going to serve the world around me. Why? Because that's how you love well. Everybody can do it. Anybody can do it. It doesn't matter when, where. You just say, God, what are the needs? Help me to discover them, and then I want to fill those needs. Paul says this. I love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says, though I am free, though I'm free. So what's that mean? This, you're like the boss. Like you have control over your own life. He said, look, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself. Everybody say make. That means it's a choice that I'm going to make myself a slave to a couple of people. Just the people that I like on Facebook. Just the ones that are nice to me. Just the ones that ain't spewing haterade. Because, you know, I don't like them haterators. You know, all them know. Just the ones that say hello. No, no. No, what's Paul say? He said, I make myself a slave to everyone. Everyone. Why? Because he's serving the world that's around him. Why? So that he can win as many as possible. Look, you can win the argument and still lose in the relationship. We're not here to win arguments. We're here to win hearts. I want to win the hearts of people that are distant from God, the hearts of people that don't know our God. And what that means is I'm going to have to lay aside my thoughts and my ambitions and what I want and what I like and my preferences. And I'm going to have to say, God, let me serve the needs of those who are around me. It's a choice that we have to make. And I love Matthew 25. And I'm going to go there. You can go back and look at it. But uh, Matthew 25, when he's, Jesus is talking to some of the believers, the people that invested in those that God placed in their life, I love it. He says, look, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you even visited me. And the believers are looking at Jesus and like, yo, Jesus, I don't remember doing those things. And he's like, when, when did you do it? Look, look, he did it. We did it. Look at verse, 20, or verse 40. It says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for, for me. So that as we serve, think about it, because I have people all the time say, man, I want to serve God. I want to I serve him. And the best way you can serve him is by serving people he loves. Oh, yeah, but you know, but I mean, I want to be a little more spiritual. Like maybe I get in my closet and we can sing and pray, and that's awesome. But the truth is, if that's all you do and we don't go out and serve the community, we have lost 
great, we make it into heaven, we're super spiritual, but the question is, did we reach the community and the culture that God put us in? Were we the salt and the light that the world saw us and said, there is a God in heaven? How do you know? Because of the way they live their life. The way they live their life. We serve people. You know, here at the church, it's, it was very interesting. We, we're about five and a half years old now. If you've been around, you, you, you know the story. But we bought a campus a couple of years ago. And it was very interesting to me because it was kind of backwards. We weren't even looking for this campus that we bought. We were looking for a permanent location. We're growing. Come on. The, I mean, that's what you do, right? You get a permanent location. But God opens up this campus, the old Second Baptist Church, and we, we say, okay, clearly, God, this is you. We're not really sure why we're buying this campus. So we called it our Leadership Academy at first. And then last year, I got the privilege to go fly up and preach for Pastor Matthew Barnett at the Dream Center at Angela's Temple. And it was amazing. And Phyllis and I, we, we get this vision like never before to serve our city. See, we always said, look, we don't want to be a church that if we close the doors, nobody miss us. We want to be that church which will never close the doors. But if that were to happen, they'd say, where'd they go? Like, like the, the, we're a better city because this church is here. And so we got up there. We're just more fired up. We're like, God, you called. I don't know what that campus is. We didn't know what it was when, you, when we got it. But God, that's a dream center. That's a station for healing and hope and help and restoration. That's the hub you called us to rally at so that we can go into the highways and byways of Fort Bend County. That's what it is. And we always said, look, that's our heartbeat and our passion that we're not just going to come and rally up on Sundays, but we're going to go out Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and then come back together on Sunday. And that's what we do. And there are hundreds of you that all throughout the week and the month are, are outreach small groups. Come on, outreach. Whoop. They meet some of them every week and some once a month and rally at the campus. And it's amazing, man. They're passing out food. They're going and painting homes and building decks and cleaning parks and going out into the community because people don't care what you know until they know how much you mm. Oh, yeah, you preach the gospel. There are a lot of people preaching the gospel. The question is, are we demonstrating the gospel through the way that we serve? And so I'm so proud of each and every one of you, not only in our daily lives, but collectively saying we're going to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, we had this hurricane happen, Harvey or something. Anybody remember this Harvey thing? Just mess us all up in August and came up. And I had started working out shortly after the, the hurricane. And trying to get in shape, take me about 10 years, you know, how, how many, know I, well, that was, you know, you start having babies and it's all messed up. I, I lost like a decade. Come on, somebody. It's like you, you start to have one and two and three and your whole schedule's messed up. And so finally this year, I've gotten into a rhythm of, of halfway getting back into the gym and trying to eat right. I don't eat right, but I'm trying. Lord, help me. It was interesting, uh, there was a guy that was there, we've been praying for him here at the church, I've been praying, he got put him on my heart, and uh, there, his, his home, he just bought a, a home, a brand new home, and him and his newlywed wife, they, they bought it, but it flooded through the hurricane. I mean, water just came up, and it was on a slab, I mean, how I many know, it's one thing, pier and beam, but it's on a slab, and they just bought it, and 
So here they are, they're cleaning it out, and we're talking through the process. Man, I hate it. And, you know, uh, he, he got it all cleaned out by the time I found out about it. And, you know, I knew the church. You guys are such a generous church. I said, look, man, he said, I've got the foundation. We can do it. I've, I've already got that in the works. We're going to raise it. And so they raised it a foot up. He said, but the thing is, I don't have the flooring. Well, it's a 1,700 square foot house. And uh, I, I said, listen, on behalf of the church, on behalf of Anchor Bend, I know they would love to buy you all the flooring you need for your house. Didn't you guys? Didn't y'all want to do that? Uh, yeah. And so he didn't come to church. Don't really know him. Just getting to know him. And, and man, his, he's like, really? Like, really? You would do that? But, but I don't go to your church. You don't have to go to church. Listen, man, we're here to help you. That's what we're all about. Well, lo and behold, guess what happens? A couple of months later, he comes to the church. And him and his wife are now here a part of the church. And this last week, I had the privilege of actually fulfilling the promise that we made as a church. They went to Lowe's. They're about to get ready to move in, doing all the sheetrock and all that. And he went and got picked it out. He said, uh, man, he said, let me, let me go get some flooring. And uh, he said, well, I got some cheap kind, like, like, like I would be proud. Like I got the cheapest kind you could get. And I said, well, bro, why did you do that? Come on, so how many know God likes a little bit better than the cheapest kind you get? And so my question was, come on, Doug, ain't that right? It's like, can we get a little bit better than cheap? God ain't cheap. God just wants it right. And so the question was, will this last? He said, well, it'll last a couple years. No, 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 no. No, we want it to last. Like, if we're going to make an investment in something, I want every time a person walks through your door, you say, see this flooring? God did that. Look at how nice it looks. Look how good it looks. Oh, it's going to last. Why? Because God did that. And so he got that, Pastor Brian took him to Lowe's and they paid for it. And so over the next couple of weeks, as a church, you'll be installing the flooring in their house. Why? Because there must be a demonstration of God's love. And then when that happens, you know what? They're like, man, I got to go check this, this thing out. What's, what's God doing? And so in our lives, we got to learn to serve people. The second thing is, if we're going to love well, we've got to set an example for them. So we, we've got to actually set the example just like Jesus did. Look, Jesus didn't go into the world condemning people. He didn't tell the lost people, you're going to hell. <laughs> Get right. No, no, no. Jesus was angry with the religious. You know what he did with the lost? He loved them. He had compassion on them. And, and so he sets the example. One of the greatest examples is the, the, the story of Zacchaeus. I mean, everyone remember this? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... I don't have any Baptists up in here. <laughs> Come on, Baptist, you know, we little man was he. Come on, we learned that growing up in school, in Sunday school. Come on, there you go. Look, Scott, I knew it. Well, we find the story in Luke chapter 19, and it's a great story. Zacchaeus is a short man, and so he climbs up in the tree. And he's watching this man named Jesus. Heard stories about him. Now, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's a chief sinner. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. He's an extortionist. He's a thief. Jewish people hate him because they, they think he's betrayed them. And so here we have Zacchaeus. He's like, man, I just want to see this man that demonstrates love like I've never seen before. And as Jesus is passing by, look at what happens in uh, chapter 19. It says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. And called him by name. Now, I love this. Jesus loves the masses, but he always acknowledges the individuals. 
And so as busy as he was, as, as, as crazy as it must have been with people pulling on him, he said, hold up, listen, I love it. It's great being in this crowd, but I got to boil grace down to the one. Zacchaeus, look at what he says. Quick, come down, for I'm going to make you, I'm going to be a guest in your home today. And don't you love, so in other words, hey, Zacchaeus, look, let's go to Gringo's. Come on, you know they're opening a second one just down the road. It's that good. Mm. Yeah, so come on, Zacchaeus. Look, the chief sinner. Like, let, let, hey, let's go eat lunch. And so Jesus says, look, I want to spend some time with you. My, my problem at times, and, and this is what I'm praying that our church doesn't do, is that we've isolated sinners and said, no, 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 I can't, I can't hang out with you. Why? Because you cuss too much. Uh, yeah. Knowing... <laughs> That two months ago, you was dropping the F-bomb and all them other bombs. and you was, But now, too much, you've been cleaned up and you're too good. Ooh. Oh, no, I can't, because you at the club. Look, I, I can't be seen with you, baby. No, no, I can't. No, no. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh like, like what they have is a disease that's going to get on you. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, oh, yeah. So, so I, I've realized this. Look, I got people all the time. I'm at the gym, and I, I feel like that's one of our greatest mission fields because, look, every one of us has to have a place where sinners are at. I'm telling you, you got to be intentional. you got to find some place where you go where people that don't know God, and, and it's funny because they'll, they'll be cussing up a storm, effing this and blah, blah, this, and, and then they say, what do you do? And I said, well, huh. I'm a pastor. Oh, pastor. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, that's going to offend me. Like, I don't care. Cuss all you want, baby. Jesus ain't afraid of your cuss words. Come on, somebody. But I will tell you this. When they encounter the authentic, non-judgmental love of God, they'll stop cussing, not because we condemn them, but because God has transformed them. Isn't that the gospel? And so we got to just say, hey, look, I ain't scared. I'm not scared. And, and so he takes him out to lunch, and Jesus connects with his heart. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in this luncheon because whatever happened, first of all, Zacchaeus walks in as a sinner. He walks in as the lowest of low, and look at how he walks out. The Bible says he experienced salvation. Look, it says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, sir, from now on, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I find that I've overcharged anyone on his taxes, I'm going to penalize myself by giving him back four times as much. Jesus told him, this shows that salvation has come to his home today. Look, Jesus connected before he corrected. And I think the challenge that we have to be careful of is that we're out there trying to correct everybody before we connect with people. Look, all I got to do, I'm not the judge and the jury. That's God's job. Someone said, well, pastor, if you knew, I, I don't need to know. I don't even care. I don't care where you were last night. I don't care where you were this morning. The only thing I care about is that you're sitting here right now experiencing the love of God. And so Jesus connects with him, and it changes and transforms his life. We have got to make sure that we are connecting with people, we're serving people, and we're setting the example. Now, I get it. Some of you, you're thinking, Pastor, I don't connect with people because I'm a mess. Like, if they saw my life, I promise you they're not going to want to be a Christian. They may run the other way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the enemy would lie to you and say that you've not had any progress, and yet there is great progress in your life that can be celebrated. 
And what I've learned is this. I just want you to run the play. Everybody say run the play. So, So you come each and every week. Now, the goal is I want you to come to church every week. Not Easter and Christmas. Every week. Why? Because it's the consistency of the word of God in your heart every week that helps you move forward in your spiritual journey. It helps change the outlook, change the way you view God, change the way you view the community and yourselves and your family and your marriage. So we want you to come to church every week. And then look, we want you to get in a small group. You got to get in community. Come on, somebody. We got 61 small groups for you to live life in. So you go get into a small group. Then I want you to look, I'm asking you to get into next steps. So you can discover your design. We believe design reveals your destiny. And then ultimately, the greatest desire is that you would start serving on our dream team. The last couple of months, we've had over 50 of you start serving on the dream team. And here's what will happen because of all of that, because of running the play, what will happen is your heart will be changed. You will be inspired. You'll continue to pursue what's in front of you and not look back to what's behind you. And over time, your life will be better, changed, and different. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of your life. Can't wait till you're perfect. Somebody like, well, pastor, I am not perfect. Listen, I'm not perfect either. Come on, we all are in a hospital, and some just got checked in a little bit sooner. And so, look, I want to read a God story. I don't often read a God story, but I thought it was perfect for this morning that illustrates the fact that, look, every one of us are an example, even if you feel like your life is a mess. It says, it's amazing how God can turn my mess into my message. Two years ago, I walked into Anchor Bend broken, torn down, and ready to give up, and Pastor Zelda greeted me with a hug and a smile. How many love Pastor Zelda? That smile gave me hope, and I felt accepted and loved as soon as I walked through the doors. Walking through the doors as a single lady with a baby, suddenly it felt a little bit easier. I remember going through the next steps and being uncertain about what the future held for me, but the team greeted me with smiles and high fives and made my next step a little bit easier. After going to next steps, I found out that I finally understood how and why God made me. I found purpose in my life through serving on the dream team. My constant prayer is that God would use me not just once a month, but every single day and especially on Sundays. I believe that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I pray that every Sunday I'd be able to greet someone that had a bad week that maybe needs a high five or a handshake and that I would be the bridge to make it a little bit easier for them to walk through the doors. God has given me the gift of being a high eye that's they, they sanguine. They like, they like people. And so she discovered that in Next Steps, which today is step two. You will actually, if you go to Next Steps today, discover your disc, which is your personality, as well as your spiritual gifts today. And so she discovers she's an eye on the disc test, which means I love engaging and loving on new people. I went through Next Steps, and now I'm using my gifts through the greeters team. How many greeters we got up in here? Woo-woo! Come on, how many love the greeters team? So when I serve, I feel full of life. I feel alive. God fills up his followers so we can be his hands and feet and continue to be the salt and light to everyone of his people. I'm forever grateful for taking my next step at Anchor Bend. I was made for this. Come on, somebody. 
I love this because she didn't start when she was perfect. She started when she felt like she was a mess. And the greatest lie of the enemy is to keep you stagnant. If he could keep you stagnant, believing the lie that you're not good enough to get engaged in what God's doing, you will live this life defeated, never fully doing what you were created to do. Look, we can all make a, a difference. Every one of us can set the example. We're all a work in progress. Here's the third thing and the last thing as we get ready to close. To love well, we've got to share Christ with them. See, we've got to look for opportunities to actually share the gospel. We've got to live moment ready. Everybody say moment ready. It's not just a hashtag. It's not just a slogan. It really is a mentality that says, God, I'm moment ready. Anybody, any door, any opportunity I have, I'm going to share the love of Jesus Christ. It's not about just doing good works. We're not out there just doing humanitarian relief. That's good in and of itself. But if what we do doesn't lead them to God, we fail. Because the goal is to depopulate hell and to populate heaven. And to see our community reach with the power and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we got to say, ultimately, look, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to share what I have experienced. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Be prepared. Just be on the ready. Just be moments ready. For what? To give an answer. What, what, what kind of answer am I giving? The reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slanders. So, so this is what I've seen. When we go to share the gospel, many people are afraid because they don't feel like they're theologians. Well, pastor, I've never even read my whole Bible. That's okay. I want to encourage you to read your whole Bible. I want to encourage you to start getting, but this is what I know. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news. The good news. So, so what I've learned is this, sharing my faith is not that I have to be a theologian. I just got to be ready to share the hope to which I have. I got to be ready. So, so, so this is what we do in, in, in the gym and different places. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, great. Man, why are you smiling all the time? I get that. Why are you smiling? Well, man, I'm glad you asked. Man, God has been so good to me. Man, I found a place where I can make it. So, so you begin to share. Look, some of you, look, when you came to Anchor Bend, your marriage was headed for a divorce. Now here you are, your husband and wife, and you love each other more now than you did when you walked through the doors. Your marriage ain't perfect, but it's better. You're not divorced. Praise God. Oh, but pastor, we still fight. Welcome to the club. We still miscommunicate all the time. Come on. I, see, and so the, the thing that we realize is, look, man, but, but we ain't headed for the divorce courts. And guess what? We're in a marriage small group. And look, hey, if you, you want to know, we, we gonna, I, I invite you to it if you need. So, so we give a, an answer for the hope that we have. Maybe it's your kids, man. You know, look, God has really helped us. I know this is a tough one, kids. Woo, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Bet you got a lot of them. It's like, man, my family was a mess. They're all going in different directions. I felt like we were never connecting. But what happened? Well, we started going to church together. Well, did they want to go? No, they didn't want to go at first, but they didn't have a choice. And so what we did was we put them in our first class children's department. We got them engaged with our youth service, which happens on Wednesday nights. Awesome. 
We started coming and then we worshiped together. And, and then what we started to notice was that our family was now moving forward, focused on Jesus. And now it's not perfect, but it's way better. The hope. The hope. The hope. What, what, I was once addicted. You know, man, I, I, I did drugs and, man, drank all the time. And, you know, I was addicted to worry and fear. But guess what? Man, started going to church. And yeah, I still have a little bit of cravings, you know, maybe even backslide just a little. But at the end of the day, I'm not where I used to be. I'm better today than where I was, and I'm going to keep moving forward. That's the hope. So the enemy would lie and say, but your life ain't perfect. Hey, check out. Anybody's perfect. I'm better than I was. And what I have found in this, even preaching and sharing in this great church, you know, when it first started, I didn't tell all my stories. I, you know, I came out of a church, and I didn't share this in the first service, so I don't know who needs, but I came out of a church, and we would show the best and hide the rest. But nobody ever seemed real. Like, then I'm like, man, I'm walking, man, I just got married because I just got married, and my marriage is a mess. Isn't it funny? You go through driver's education to learn how to drive, but you ain't got to do nothing to get married. You just say, hey, I love you. I love you, too. It ain't love anyway. It's just lust. I lust you, baby. Well, good luck. You want to learn more about that? We're going to do a relationship series in July. Come on back. It's going to be awesome. But I just remember thinking, man, everybody is perfect. Like, I, I just, and so even starting this church, I think it had to just wear off. And then, you know, about three years ago, I just said, I don't care. Look, I'm in counseling. Come on, somebody. I see some of you there. Don't worry about it. You know, my, my marriage is, is all, look, we ain't going nowhere. We ride or die, but some days it feels like we die. <laughs> look, my kids ain't perfect. Yeah, they probably spit on your kid. I'm sorry. I'll spank them. But don't ask them to be perfect. They're kids. And what I realized was if I would be real, then we could all just be real. And then we're all real. Then we could actually go and reach a world that's looking for people that are authentic and real. Nobody's looking for perfection. They're just looking for honesty. And that's it. Someone said, well, what I say if they ask me a question I don't have the answer to? Here's, here's what you say. Ah. But I'll find out. Let's go find out. Google's amazing. Go ask a pastor. Don't be afraid of the questions. And I, I just think for us, if we could just say, I'm going to share the gospel every opportunity... And then I, I was bragging on Roy this morning, Roy Burris. If you don't know him, you got to get to know this amazing man. He's Joel's father. And so we go to the gym, and he'll be swimming and doing stuff. We see each other three, four times a week. That man has brought more people to church than I can count from the gym. And you know what the people, I, I've watched it. I've literally watched it. They're like, Roy, why are you so happy all the time? And he's like, oh, I'm glad you asked. He's like, man, I go to the best church, and I'll be sitting there, and I'm like, he's like, and that's my pastor. <laughs> and then what happens is they say, man, you, there is something about your countenance. He's like, man, I go to the best. He says, oh, I go to the best church in the whole world. It gets me fired up. He tells me every week, pastor, we haven't seen nothing yet. God's about to bring a revival, and God is using me to bring people into his presence and their lives. He said, I'm having the time of my life. He just invited me. It's the power of an invite. Did you know that 65 million people will not go to church this weekend, today, 
they're not going to be in church today. 65 million. Can you believe that? But did you know this? 34 million would go if they were invited. Imagine. That's a, it's according to Barna. His stats, he's an amazing statistician. 34 million. That would be a catastrophic revival. If all of a sudden 34 million pop up in a church, a life-giving church that would love them unconditionally, that would set the example, that would share the truth and the power of God's word, we would literally see revival in America. How? Power of an invite. You want to know how we're going to reach Fort Bend County? The power of an invite. Sharing the hope of what God has done. Sharing what he, the, just, just a little, celebrating the steps. See, God celebrates the progress, not perfection. It's all about the progress, the potential. And sometimes we're afraid. It's this whole social media. Look, I'm going to show the best and hide the rest. God never called us to do that. Let's just be real. Let's reach people. Let's invite them to where our lives are changed and see God do something. I, how many can believe with me revival is going to sweep across Fort Bend County? I just believe it. This community, our cities, and ultimately America. Let me just pray over us this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, I'm asking you to move in our hearts. God, you stirred me up in this message, even just helping me, God, not to be complacent, but ultimately understanding. I got to love well. It's not about just having the truth or the answers or being right, but God, that we would love them to you. Faith expressing itself through love. And God, I pray that you would raise us up to be a church that would show your unconditional love to the people that you've called us to live life around. That God, everywhere we go, the words we say, we do, God, it would be to serve and to love and to display who you are. That people, when they see us, they would say, surely there is a God in heaven. Why? Because we are the hands and feet of you. Lord, I'm asking you to move in a profound way. Stir us up. God, don't let us be complacent. Don't let us compromise. Don't allow us to walk through our world focused simply on ourselves. But God, we would focus on the world around us. Lord, we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There are some of you here this morning. You know, when I talk about the love of God, you've never truly experienced the unconditional love of God through the form of salvation. Salvation is where we totally surrender our lives to him. We say, God, I, I let go of the past. I let go of the things that have had me bound. I even let go of my own desires. And God, I put you first. You're not just on the list. You're at the top of the list. And we confess and we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I give you first place. And I believe there are some of you here this morning that, that your, your heart's beating a little fast. You, you recognize God's dealing with you. And in this moment, you're ready to surrender everything to him. You're ready to confess him as your Lord and Savior. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just as an act of surrender. If that's you in this moment, you're ready to surrender everything to him. Just raise your hands up high right now. Thank you, Jesus. God, I worship you. I see your hands. Wow. Just surrender. Just, Jesus, we surrender. Church, come on. Tell them how proud you are of them. God, we thank you, Lord. So this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of surrender. Say, Jesus, I surrender. 
everything to you. Right now, cleanse me of my past. Wash away my sin. I repent of all the wrong that I've done. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Right now, I give you all that I am. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you my future. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, worship God this morning.